G'day, welcome back. Episode two of yep. the Sports Booth podcast. I'm back. I'm Luke Bowden yet again, and I'm with Husey. G'day. And uh, we're here. Another episode, another couple of weeks have gone by. Yep. A couple of weeks of uh, the NFL, at least. Um, and, and so on. How, how was your week, Husey? A new job started today. Yeah, so I had a week off between our last episode and this one. And in that time, I did all my Christmas shopping and I got admitted as a lawyer. And so last week's court case is actually a trial run, for those that don't know. <laughs> so it doesn't actually count. Uh, and uh, yeah, started a new job today, in fact. So uh, fresh out of that here in the Sports Booth podcast recording booth and uh, ready, to, ready to rock and roll. See, I guess I jumped the gun when I said you were a lawyer a bit earlier. Now, I was, now. It, was, it was last week for, for all of us, for, for you hosting, for me doing my court case. It's all a trial run. Just getting used to the feel of things. So, you know... Any, any mistakes that were made last week by me or by Luke, you know, we're just kind of, you know, acceptable mistakes for first-timers. Now we move, start moving towards... Now we're experienced. Now, yeah. we're, now we've, got, we've gained now some we're experience. Yes, yeah, we're, we're back and we're, we're better than ever. So, yeah, I had a hectic week with work, so that was why probably a little bit low on the posting side. But it was a fantastic week of sports, and uh, that is what we'll start off with. Uh, obviously, the Ashes first test... <laughs> sweet, sweet English tears. I um, I I got a message from work mate, and it was you know like, oh, are you excited for the Ashes? And I said, I honestly kind of hope both teams lose. Like, <laughs> as a New Zealander, I have zero care who wins, but it is good seeing both. What one of them get smashed? I wouldn't mind yep. a, a smashing, a smashing, a smashing, and then a close game to finish it off. But yeah. the English arrogance, I guess, uh, was taught a bit of a lesson, and and I enjoyed seeing that. I think I yeah, I did. Look, it was, you know. I don't, I'm not a huge follower of the cricket, but I do like my Big Bash and I do like watching the Ashes. I lived uh, a year in England amongst the heathens, and so I, we weren't doing so well at that time, so I know what it's like to have um, Cockney children rubbing it in your face as an Australian <laughs> that you've lost the Ashes. So I think it was really big, and I think it's pretty big for Australian cricket after all the controversy surrounding uh, Timmy Payne and all the other players, for Pat Cummins to come in and just have an absolute dominant first test win. And, you know, he's he's now becoming sort of the, the poster child for Australian cricket, drinking kombuchas at halftime and things like <laughs> during lunch and stuff like that. Like, doing all the right things and uh, nothing more right than a victory over the English. So I think that's, uh, that's great. I actually saw, like, the, the first Ashes test. Uh, I was in the gym with my brother and uh, I was just like, you know what, I'll just... Uh, I'll just it up on Google, see how it's going, and I saw that England were three wickets down already, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I like <laughs> ran across the gym to find him, and just be like, "Look, look!" look. <laughs> I've never seen anything more special than that start first yeah. ball. That was that was a uh, that was special, and, and Shane Warne's obviously commentating that is circled around that. Yep. It's obvious that him and Starkey don't get on, but wow, that was <laughs> a that was a special delivery to start off, and the swing he got. Um, I think again a fantastic first ball and rocked rocked England, and then. There was obviously a bit, a bit of controversy around uh, Ben Stokes. Not the fact that he bowled the no, no ball. I think everyone was, was pretty clear no ball. But the fact yeah. that he had four no balls or three no balls leading up to that no ball and none of them were called. Um, would he have adjusted his line? Would it have made a difference? Obviously, butterfly effect we're discussing here now. Like yeah. Things would have been different. But too many ifs. Too, too many, many ifs, ifs, definitely. And, and in the end... England couldn't bet to save themselves. Yeah. Joe Root showed up for an 89 or whatever it was, but still couldn't crack the ton. 
Um, and they, they lacked a bit of backbone. I don't know. It was a it was obviously a tactic going into this first test that they rested Broad, they rested Anderson, um, and now they're firing fit. But a lot rests on the uh, in the toss in Adelaide. Who wins that will probably win the match. Um, so that'll that'll be exciting going forward. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's Boxing Day. Uh, so the third the Boxing Day test, I think, is going to be a really uh, big one as well. And the Australian crowds, I think, will get really fired up for that one. I mean, I did mention on the last podcast that, you know, not having the full force of the Barmy Army behind England could hurt them. I don't want to say after one test I was right, <laughs> but, I mean, the result, it's such a market, like... I don't think know, a full Barmy Army would have saved I don't think it would have, I don't know if it would have changed the result, but maybe it makes it a bit closer. <laughs> you know, maybe some English folks yelling from the crowd, you know, puts an Australian battle. You know, it's like playing the if game again, too many ifs, yeah. but, I, I, you know, maybe it wouldn't have changed the result but maybe it would have made things a bit closer. I don't know. And then maybe that has a, another effect going forward. You know, back to the butterfly effect and things like that. Who knows what the long-term impact that's going to be over the series. I mean, personally, I hope for a whitewash. I mean, I would be on Australian if I said I didn't. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would like to see a couple of close games. And I'd like to see, I think it'd be really good to have um, sort of a, a leadership moment for, for Cummins to... Uh, establish himself firmly outside of the shadow of Steve Smith um, as his vice captain. And I don't know what sort of form that will take, but I think that would be really good for Australian cricket. Five wickets in, in the first first innings wasn't enough for a, a statement. You want a, you no. want a, a decision, that's, a, that's, a, that's a it. fielding that's, decision. Yeah, or, that's, or a, yeah exactly. That's like, like that. an individual thing. I want something that's like a leader moment. There's a difference between playing a great player and a great captain. Yeah. Steve Smith was a great player and a great captain. That's what we need, and that's you know that was obviously great, a lot of success for Australia. That's what I want to see out of out of Cummins. Oh yeah, I will. So we'll see what happens in Adelaide. Um, USC two six nine occurred on the weekend as well, and that was a huge event in the end. Uh, yeah. One of the biggest upsets in, in sporting history of recent memory with Juliana uh, Pena um, submitting Amanda Nunes, which was surprised to I think just about all of the world except for a couple of punters who. Who had uh, some I'm surprised you pronounced the name correctly. That so was pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty uh, good. <laughs> couldn't, don't ask me to do it twice. But yeah, yeah no. So, I mean, I watched, uh, I had the updates going and, and constantly flicking over. Two big wins for an Australian and a New Zealander yep. with Bam Bam getting the knockout of a ranked opponent, which was he, huge. He just he folded the motherfucker. Yeah, just. <laughs> um, I read a great, uh, great article from a Batuta Advocate on it where it was just like, you could. they were just talking about how. You could see the real Western Sydney asphalt uh, <laughs> octagon training for Bam Bam there, and yeah, I saw a clip of it. Just man, that's dangerous, violence, dangerous. yeah, violence. And that's he's likable in the UFC. I think I said it in the uh, in the pre-match kind of the pre-fights that he's likable in the UFC, and that they love seeing a, a guy jump on cage into a shoey after he's <laughs> just actually yep. stoned someone cold out. So I think he's definitely in the in the realm of a bigger fight, and I think he'll get that. The uh, the guy who's facing um, just came off the back of fa- facing, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name, Rosniak or something like that, uh, The yep. and he was quite high in the rankings. So I see Bam Bam probably getting another opportunity. Uh, same with Sean O'Malley. He he got a win, Sugar, um, against a ranked opponent, so he'll move up. Um, and then finally Kai Kara France, the New Zealander, got a good win over Corey Gardman. I can't pronounce his yeah. name either. Um, I'll but, leave it to you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so though that's it's good for New Zealand Aussie um, fighting MMA UFC, um, and then the announcement or 
questionable announcement of UFC 271, which would see Israel and Robert Whitaker run it back, um, but still to be confirmed. I think UFC came yeah. out and then Israel put a cap in the in the comment <laughs> section. So obviously something's going on there around the back end that he's not too happy with. But again, I, I love the UFC and I think New Zealand and Aussies are are primed for it. So the more we can yep. get up there, uh, uh, definitely would be good. Yeah, definitely getting yeah, even more names out there in terms of combat sports in general. You know, obviously Tim Zoo's probably the biggest uh, Australian name out there uh, at the moment and commanding quite a big uh, audience domestically and uh, internationally, I hope, anyway. So I think it's I think it's good and it's great to bring some of those events here. Like there's been some UFC events and stuff here like that. So I think, you know, anything like that, anything that builds sport uh, in the country I think is really positive. Yeah, any big event you can have um, is, is always good and, and hopefully we can get to a couple of them uh, coming in the new year. So, yeah, that's the UFC. Uh, Formula One, a quick roundup of that. Ooh. If you didn't see that uh, last night, slash whenever this goes out, probably this will probably go out Tuesday night. So, uh, yeah, a, a fantastic race, fantastic end to the season. Controversy. Um, Lots all of around. controversy. <laughs> the fact that I heard about the controversy should tell you how controversial it was yes. because I don't follow Formula One. But even I know, I'm going to steal your, your segment here a little bit, that <laughs> Verstappen won and Hamilton lost. And Hamilton was not very happy about it. I saw a lot of posts about Hamilton, and I thought that musical came out six years ago. Why are people <laughs> still going on about it? But no, it was Lewis Hamilton, and Mercedes uh, weren't happy about it. And there was some involvement of match officials and things like that. It's a whole bunch of controversy, really, in Australia yeah. as well. Look, there's you never. It's never no matter what sport you have, you never want the outcome to be decided by. Uh, a referee or a judge, sure, steward, whatever. Like you, you always want it to be decided by the competitors. So, you know, and I've seen from just my small subset of European friends who follow Formula One, very bitter arguments about it. And <laughs> so that, you know, that should, I think that's just a microcosm of the whole macro of uh, how some Formula One fans are, are feeling at the moment. But, you know, you got to give full credit to both competitors uh, in, in that, it, as I understand it, it came down to the wire. Pretty yes, yes. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, I'll give you a quick rundown. Lewis Hamilton up by a good 12, 13 seconds with uh, five laps to go, uh, six laps to go, I think. Schuin to win his eighth title, um, had done really well, got off the start line quick, got in front of Max, um, got slightly held up as, as changes as the races were going by Max's teammate, Chico um, and Perez. So he was... There was a tight tussle there for a while, and, and Hamilton kind of took it to him. So then a crash occurs, safety car, we get the pile-up of cars all starting in behind each other, um, and this is kind of where the controversy occurs. Lewis Hamilton decides to stay out while the safety cars are coming out. Um, is coming out. Uh, Max Verstappen pits. Kind of what they had to do with Lewis Hamilton pits, and then Max Verstappen stays out, and the race continues on, but they don't get back to racing because it finishes under yellow flag then it looks like the dumbest move in the history by Mercedes. So Mercedes has to stay out. Like, you can't... I don't think anyone could argue that. Um, even Lewis Hamilton, I've heard some radio of him at the time, was talking about, should we have come in? They didn't really have the option, and he. I, I can imagine he probably knows that, because whatever he did, the opposite would have been what Red Bull had done. They were yep. in, a, in a Hail Mary-type situation. So Red Bull comes in, gets some soft new tyres on, uh, Lewis Hamilton stuck on his hards, very old tyres, um, been running them for, for three, uh, three quarters of the race, um, maybe just a little bit less than that. So 
what happened now is they've got a whole lot of lap cars between them and they're doing the laps around the circuit yep. as under safety car. Red Bull's claiming that they want the safe, all those lap cars to go in front of the safety car, which they should do by the rules. Um, but the FIA and the uh, racing officials decided that they were still going to clear up the track before that happened. Um, as this is all happening, there's kind of radios going back and forth. I think Red Bull's noticing. What it says in the rules is that any, not all is the big thing, any cars, um, lap cars should get in front of the safety car. Um, and then it's meant to be, after they get in front of the safety car, another lap around the circuit with the safety car, and that's that. that yep. Then they can go back to racing. On the 57th lap, they put them in front of the safety car, so the second to last lap, 58 laps in this race, yep. and then called their safety car in. And now there's a rule after the rule that says that they have to do another lap that the officials have control over the safety car to decide when it comes in and when it doesn't come in. So basically kind of saying the officials have the choices when it comes in. So the officials have said, we want them to get in front so that there's racing in this last lap, um, and then therefore we get the race that we get. So now Max Verstappen's right behind Lewis Hamilton on new fresh tyres um, against Lewis with old tyres. It's kind of like a, it's not even a race anymore. Yep. Um, and, and what happens is we get... Max Verstappen overtaking Lewis Hamilton. So, two credit. There's there's a lot of things going around. Two credit. Max Verstappen still got to make the move. Obviously, yeah, fresh tyres, but he's still got to make the move. There's not many that would be able to still make that move with Lewis, even like that, um, just because of the driver Lewis is. Lewis to get himself in that position. Um, Mercedes kind of killed themselves during the season by not letting them set themselves up for a victory in the later stages. They've they've come really come stronger towards the end of this yeah. this championship. So, I mean. I've watched it. I, I love watching Formula One and I love watching any sport where there's an athlete who could create history and I love watching basketball. I love watching LeBron James yeah. because I think he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, argument for another time. <laughs> Same with Lewis Hamilton. You watch him and you're like, he's probably the greatest, if like one of the greatest, good argument, if not the greatest, with Michael Schumacher and I just love watching that and it would have been history to see him win his eighth title. I've loved the competition this year but towards the end it's all been about the stewards and, and the officiating and then and uh, the Messi, the uh, the officiator, the Aussie, that's going to get a lot of stick for this. Again, it's in his control. He's the race director. But there's a lot where I'm like, man, this is this is the issue with Formula One is yeah. is are these rules and what what does go, what doesn't go. I understand. I've watched the end of these and I've seen Max Verstappen be pretty hectic with some of his moves. Like I think he's pretty handled himself a lot less than what Lewis has, and I think. That's the young side of him. Like, yeah. you would look back in ten years ago, and Lewis would have been doing pretty much the same thing that Max is doing now. So I think Lewis held himself really well after the race, but I think there was a lot there that it was just vying for. It was just the ultimate race you could kind of have, and to have it finish with, like you said, an officiating decision like that um, is a little bit disappointing. But however, if it hadn't happened, say there was no crash, Lewis goes on to win. It doesn't really matter. I'm on Formula One. There's one thing going around everyone's mouths at the moment, and that's Formula One. So, if if yep, if, if you don't think true. that money talks, and I know there's always been this thing with Formula One that money talks because yep. this is this is it. Like, you couldn't have asked for a better showdown in the end. I would have loved to have seen it, and that's what someone said. And I think the best way to have been would have been to do it. And I guess again, this puts it on the officiating would have been to red flag the session. So when they red flag the session, everyone can come in put tyres on, and then they go out and they say, you've got five laps to show us what you've got. I would have loved to have seen that. I yeah. think that would have been more fair. But in the end, this is this is Formula 1 as well. Like Luck comes into it. When you go under safety car, what happens with safety car, this and that. So, I mean, I'm I'm all fair in love and war, and I think this was one of those moments we'll look back on and go, wow, like that was incredible. 
was Lewis hard done by? I think so. Will Mercedes lawyer up and take this into the ground? Probably. Will it get overturned? Of course not. Like, this is sport in the end. They're yep. not going to do anything silly like that. Um, I think it's, it's it sets up a great 2022. I think Lewis definitely comes back. I think Mercedes come back. I think Formula One's starting to peak a bit more of everyone's interest now that it's a bit closer. There's not just Lewis Hamilton. Um, and, and what comes next year, I think, will be fascinating. So I think in the end, it's it's a great result for the sport without it being a great result for the sport. <laughs> and, and sort of going a little bit back to what we're talking about at the end of UFC and in terms of um, Aussies, obviously the Aussie steward being involved, not the best thing. But one other name that I've heard quite a bit in the Formula 2 is Oscar Piastri. Yes. And uh, his sort of rise, very young guy from what I understand. So there's, you know, bringing back to a bit of a local focus as well, there's more uh, people becoming interested uh, in that side of things as well, especially with more uh, local names back in there again as well. So I think, yeah, once again, anything that's good for sports overall is, is a good thing. And uh, sort of looking at the result and how Formula 1 is in general with the whole season, it's very much a European style thing where it is a whole se- a whole season's body of work. That's what counts in the end. Whereas, you know, uh, I follow a lot of American sports. So if you get your full season result to get you to an end, to have like an exciting finish, and I think that red flag would have been sort of a, an Americanized way to sort of end <laughs> it, whereas the way it ended was probably more European. So, uh, you know, I, I, you'll never please anyone with a decision like that. And... I mean, it's ended the way it's ended now, and it's a huge, huge story. And as you said, that'll just draw more interest to the sport. So I can't think that uh, any of the people in charge of Formula One would be terribly upset. Um, Yeah, there we go. Yeah, we're back. All right. Yeah, so I don't think anyone that, as I was saying, uh, I don't think anyone that's in charge uh, of running Formula One is going to be terribly upset with the controversy because, you know, as as the saying goes, any... Uh, any news is, is good news. Any sort of reporting on you is good reporting. Yes, and I think the Netflix Formula One Drive to Survive yeah. series is about to be huge. Yep. If, if you're not excited for that next series, um, I don't know who you are and I don't know what you're doing <laughs> with your life, but, yeah, that's going to be fantastic. So, yeah, we, we, we'll cover all sports here, and that was just a, a kind of another a, a version of that, um, of, of the world of sports that is peaking at the moment just with... With what happened, so yeah, we'll move on to American football now. We've had a couple of weeks since the last podcast. Yep. Did it on a Saturday or did we do it on a Sunday? Did it on Sunday. 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 Sunday, and so New Zealand Australian Sundays. Obviously, the games are on the Monday, but today we're on a Monday. And yes, my Falcons have just picked up a win, a massive win against the Panthers. Oh, uh, keep us win. in the race. A win. That's a massive win for okay. us. I, yeah. If we if we if we can beat San Francisco next week, if. yeah, if. Then we have the Lions, and then we've got Saints at the end of the season, and then we've yep. got the Bills somewhere in there. I mean, there's a chance. As long as there's a chance. Exactly. Look, that's that's what it is. Yeah, I think the biggest thing was Atlanta was resting players towards the end of the game. Like, how long has it been since Atlanta's been able to do that? Um, for me, last week was a lot better than this week because my Pittsburgh Steelers picked up a win against our biggest rival and what I, in my opinion, is the best rivalry in sports, the Steelers versus the Ravens. A one-point victory as close as it can get, the record between the two coaches is insanely tight. Before the game, it was 15 to 14 in favor of Mike Tomlin. Now it's 16 to 14. Um, Lamar Jackson officially has a one and two record against the uh, Steelers now, and he's got some of his worst career stats in playing us. So there's just the team; these two teams just fire up to a different level when they're playing each other. And you can see the games either side of the Steelers uh, for the Steelers. 
We got blown out by Cincinnati, and then we were blown out by Minnesota. Managed to get ourselves back into it, came to the final play of the game. But you could just see the different levels of intensity that these teams get when they play each other. And the Ravens, uh, one of the big things about this rivalry to me is that it's a hard-hitting rivalry, but it's a rivalry of respect as well. Both teams respect each other. And the Ravens, all respect to them, they're playing with so many injuries on offense and defense, 20-something players on injury reserve. We'll talk a bit about last week with John Harbour yeah. and Coach of the Year type thing. Like the, and the fact that they nearly came back to beat the Browns today with Lamar wow. Jackson injured playing Tyler Huntley, I think was uh, pretty – speaks a lot to the coaching staff and the general management of how they're able to build the players and build a game plan to succeed. The Steelers, I think, is going to be a huge offseason, the biggest offseason in, in – recent team history anyway and because there's a lot of areas in here but there's a lot of areas of really good strength uh you know looking at uh other results uh it was initially a close one between the the bears and the packers but i think after halftime the packers managed to pull that one out uh we've got a big one tomorrow night uh or tomorrow during the day for us tomorrow night for americans which is going to be the cardinals versus the rams i think if the cardinals win they're in the playoffs and they've all but locked up the nfc west uh, and, you know, they really set themselves in a good position for getting that number one seed, that all-important number one seed. Uh, the Buccaneers won today against the Bills. The Bills fall another game back. The Patriots are on a bye, but still the Bills fall another game back in the AFC East race. Over time, though, they, they pulled that one back. I was I was watching that one, and yeah. I was like, man, I thought Tampa were running away with it, and I was like, this is the end of the Bills. So I was, they, they at least showed some fight, a lot they haven't shown. But you were yeah. right last week when you – Stated they don't have a run game and it's all on Josh Allen. The, the, the whole game is on just Josh Allen. It is. And the thing is as well with the it, – it's not even that they don't have a run game. It's they don't have running backs. Like they've got talented backs, but they just don't use them. They don't use them in the receiving game that much. Yeah. They don't run with them. So it's almost like they're playing with 10 men on offense and teams uh, have w- wised up to it and are just basically not ignoring the running backs. Uh, and that's really cost the, the Bills – and the game last week they had against the Patriots, so Mac Jones passed it three times. Passed it three <laughs> times, and the Patriots still won. They just ran it and ran it, and they relied on their defense and the horrific wind to slow down the Bills, and it did enough for them to get a win. Just some dirty, ugly football, but they, they won, and that's that's what counts, and that's what makes Bill Pelichick uh, probably the greatest coach of all time in the NFL is that he will game plan to win with whatever he's got and whatever the conditions are. And, uh, yeah, look, they were talking a few years ago, I think, when the Patriots made their uh, fifth Super Bowl under Belichick about potentially renaming the Lombardi Trophy to the Lombardi-Belichick Trophy. And I, I for one, and I'm saying this as a Steelers fan, mind you, <laughs> I, for one, would not be opposed to that because he, is, he has had more success in his time coaching than most franchises have had in their entire history. There's a, a, only a couple of franchises that have had more success in their entire history than the Patriots have had under Belichick. And I think that he's had, and he's done that through essentially now almost three decades of, of NFL coaching. And he's, he obviously goes back further than that with his coordinator work, but as a head coach to stay relevant for that long and to keep his teams competitive for that long, I think is is incredible and he does it not only as a coach but as a personnel manager as well so but whenever he decides to hang up his hoodie it's going to be a sad day for the nfl <laughs> i mean a joyous day for the afc east but a sad day for the nfl
And what did you make of the old uh, Cowboys versus Washington back and forth over through Oof. the week? And then yeah. Cowboys backed it up. Let's be honest. Like I was, I was, I was nervous for them because I, I don't mind seeing the Cowboys win. Yeah. And then blow it in the playoffs. Like I don't want them to win the whole thing, but I want. Yeah. To, I like. I like seeing a good Cowboys team. I think it's good for football. And obviously, what with Mike McCarthy said, and then Ron Rivera coming back. Those are two good personality coaches. It's, yep. It was interesting. What did you make of it? I thought that the. I actually thought that the Washington football team were lucky that it was as close as it was. There was, yeah, the scoreline looked closer than what the game was. I still think there's just something a little bit off with the Cowboys' offense in recent weeks. I still think Zeke Elliott hasn't picked his way back to his um, correct form. But I think the defense for the Cowboys is making up for it. I mean, Micah Parsons is is... Absolutely insane. In, in my mind, he should be second in Defensive Player of the Year voting after TJ Watt and then Miles Garrett after that. But for whatever reason, the media's... I, I don't know. I just, I after, see. after his performance this week, he well, he's guaranteed different Defensive Rookie of the Year. Oh, yeah, pass, pass. Sorry, I think we're about to say something positive about Miles Garrett there. I was about to say... I, I don't know. I saw a clip of Miles Garrett making a pretty routine play and it's just being hyped up like he's uh, a genius. And look... He is a great player. He's, he's one of the top players. But I feel like the I, sometimes I, I really take issue with the media. It's particularly NFL media more than uh, a lot of other sports. They pick a narrative and then they just force that force that narrative. But the truly great players can let their play stand as the testament to their body of work, and it's recognized by the other players and by you know Pro Bowl and All Pro rankings and things like things like that. So um, I, I feel like that's that's something that needs to be. Uh, looked at, but who's going to look at it? I don't know. But uh, yeah, look, Michael Parsons. Yeah, I think definitely defensive rookie of the year. I don't. There's a couple of other players that are some, making some plays, but there's no one close to him. He's he's playing better than most other defensive players in the league. And the thing is, as well, he did a position swap during the year. He was incredible. playing as a uh, middle slash outside linebacker in a four three system and converted to a hybrid defensive end. And he's yeah, truly like a player like that. He's playing very much like a 3-4 outside linebacker like a TJ Watt who does rush the pass and has great success doing it but can also drop back into coverage and make plays in coverage as well. And I think uh, to do that in a 4-3 system is very, very special when you know your defensive ends are pretty much just rushing the passer the whole time. And I think that's uh, I think he's a tremendous player. And I really... I, I, I am not so opposed to the Cowboys uh, winning it or whatever. I think it would be good, as he said, good for football for the Cowboys to be there. I mean, maybe it'd be good for them to get to the Super Bowl and lose, but I think you're right. It's good for football when the Cowboys uh, do well. Uh, I know we've got a few Eagles fans that listen, and look, I don't know if the Eagles are going to... Yeah, I, I feel like with this latest win, the Cowboys have just put too much of a lead to be caught in the East uh, this year, and I think the the Eagles are probably going to have a few more questions in the offseason around the quarterback position than they might like. So... This might be the time for the for the Cowboys to really stake their claim as the and create a dynasty in the NFC East with the talent they've got in that roster. They really should. They really should. But talking about the NFC East, we mentioned this last week, and you said how actually though NFC East was a better division than my NFC South Falcons division. Do you remember saying that? I do. Yeah. And do you now notice that at the moment, if you look at the standings and the records? NFC South is better. Is, is better because because yeah. Tampa Bay is the better version of Dallas, and then we've got two six and seven teams, and then we've got yeah the, the Saints. I was actually surprised by the Saints being able to pull it back. I thought after the complete collapse last week 
that was kind of going to be it. I mean, they played the Jets, <laughs> so you know, don't, I don't put that much into it. Too much. Then, then, the, then the Falcons played the Panthers, and uh, Matt Rule, the coach of the Carolina Panthers, came out and said that Cam Newton still doesn't know the two-minute offense, and it's like he's been there for a fair few weeks now. How does he still not know the two-minute offense? You're swapping and changing quarterbacks in there, so you know. Is a good win for the Falcons in the context of the Falcons season. In the context of the 2021 season, it was a win. So yeah. I mean, our, our our life goes on the line next yeah. week. So, but yeah, I mean, there's there as long as you're still in it, you're still in it. Yeah, as long as you're you, not mathematically eliminated. We want to be playing yeah. meaningful football games in December, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. So uh, yeah, all right. That's the NFL. Anything else you had? Uh, Jumped off of uh, anything else from the NFL that I can think of? Yes, the Kansas City Chiefs. I'd be very remiss oh, wow. if I did not yes. mention the Kansas City Chiefs. And, <laughs> the back baby. <laughs> and the I think this week, and and also I need to talk about the Denver Broncos a little bit, but the AFC nice. AFC West, one of the best divisions in uh, football, I think, if not the best division. I think the two West divisions are probably the two best divisions in football. But the Kansas City Chiefs, Insane defensive showing against the Raiders after the Raiders shot their mouth off. Dance over the. When will teams learn that dancing on a logo of your opposition at their stadium is a bad idea? By the way, like coming uh, from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I we I learned firsthand, but the Bengals learned it firsthand against the Steelers. Any time a team is disrespected, the terrible towel. By the way, they've lost to the Steelers. Uh, look, last year the Titans did it to the Ravens. Ravens beat the Ravens beat the Titans, right? Raiders did it here against the Chiefs. Chiefs absolutely wiped the floor with it, and I, it was an emotional victory for the Chiefs because one of their star defensive players, Legarius Sneed, was out because his brother, who raised him, uh, was killed during the week, and so they had some a lot of emotions going into this game. But I think it's still representative of a, a trend for the Chiefs of an improving defensive performance and a bit more of a conservative offense, which is almost getting back to the Chiefs how they were before Patrick Mahomes when they're playing out in that Alex Smith where he was a bit of a game manager and the defense really uh, ruled things for the Chiefs. Then looking at the Denver Broncos, uh, a really emotional uh, win for them today against the Lions. Last week, the Lions had a really emotional win and it was their first win of the season after the horrific mass shooting in Oxford, Michigan, which I think is under 70 miles away from, the, uh, from Ford Field where the Lions play. This week, the Lions were on the receiving end of an emotional win uh, at the hand of the Denver Broncos, who, of course, lost um, former wide receiver Demarius Thomas uh, during the week um, to a death via illness and accident. And um, painful memories for me associated with Demarius Thomas eliminating the Steelers uh, on the first play play of overtime. But he did that run and that stiff arm was... Oh, that was special. He was a special player while he was in the NFL... And based on the Broncos' reaction, he was still a special part of that organization. So uh, condolences to to his family. Um, and I think the the whole Denver Broncos organization is uh, feeling the pain after that one. But they've you know they've put another uh, victory on the board um, after being blown out by the Chiefs. I don't think they'll win the AFC West. I think they'll be. I think like your Falcons, they're playing meaningful football here in December, and I think they've got a chance to be one of the wild card teams. Uh, as we head down the stretch. And, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't really know what it is about this team. There's just something about them that uh, has got that... They're, a bit, they're inconsistent, but they can, they've can they got the thing that's just enabling them to win football games. And I, I feel like, you know, may, I don't think if they get into the playoffs, I think they'll be eliminated first round, but I think they have the potential to get there this year. 
Yeah, yeah I, I think so too. I think they're likable as well this year. Yeah, which is, like you look at Teddy Bridgewater and you just you I just hope for like Teddy. Yeah, yeah, hope for good for him. So, yeah, there's the NFL uh, for this week and last week. Um, another update from Husey. On to rugby. Team of the year and was announced. Two Aussies in it. Three Kiwis and a bunch of. European and South Africans who we don't really care about. Yep. Uh, so we'll start with Hooper, obviously, number seven named again. Yep. Um, can't go wrong with Hooper, I guess. Yep. Like golden boy of rugby. Australian uh, rugby, I guess. Yeah, boy, yeah, it's golden boy of rugby. Um, you know, how, yeah, how, how can you not like Hooper? He plays hard, uh, wears his heart in his sleeve every game. Uh, yeah, he just, he, he is surprisingly... Surprisingly athletic, given you look at him and his and his stature, <laughs> you feel like he might not be that fast, but he's faster than you give him credit. He for. He looks like he's running in slow motion, but he's yeah. actually going at normal speed. Yeah, yeah that is that is the Michael Hooper and I remember. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he, he never gives up. He's uh, he's a tremendous player, and uh, you know, I for one um, definitely lost a bit of interest in Waratah's rugby when he departed. But you know, he, he's. He's doing right by him, and I think that's important for him to do as well. And it's important for Australian rugby. And I feel like where I, I feel like with some of the hopefully some eligibility rule changes and things like that, that where the Australian rugby seeing the benefit of bringing in those players, that play overseas, getting the different perspectives, even ones that haven't played a certain number of uh, tests uh, for Australia or playing Super Rugby, you know, the, all the different eligibility criteria. I feel like that there, that is the easing of that will only benefit Australian rugby in terms of the Wallabies level of play. We'll see how it goes with the Super Rugby, but I know that I'm definitely very excited for Super Rugby Pacifica next year with the two new teams being added and the different sort of format of the competition. I, I think it's probably the most excited I've been about Super Rugby since um, the year the Waratahs won it all. That's probably my peak of interest in, in Super Rugby. We're sort of heading back to uh, Team of the Year. Uh, yeah, Michael Hooper and then uh, Samu Karevi. Uh, another the other guess, Australian and, and two Australians who currently play football in Japan, isn't it? There you so go. It's like you know that it is it is the way it's going. Um, I, I mentioned it in a video that's now been deleted by YouTube, but we won't <laughs> talk about that. Um, that it was it was it's the way that Australian rugby needs to go because you'd rather I think especially Aussies would say it as well they'd rather win even if it's yeah. players overseas than continue down this path of was it like twenty years without a bleeder slow so. Um, uh, I think who's counting? <laughs> well, I'll keep counting. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I think I think this is the right move. Um. And I think it's good for for Australian sports. So yeah, those two are in it. Obviously, they were definitely going to be in it after being nominees for World Player of the Year. Um. And then we had Artie Sovia, Bowden Barrett, and Will Jordan. Will Jordan won Breakthrough Player of the Year for the New Zealand All Blacks and for the for the world. So I mean, again, I think he scored the second most tries. For a uh, for a first season or in a calendar wow. year for an All Black, he's called fifteen this year, which is not surprising. He's a freak, um, and I think he'll, he's only going to get better. I think um, they'll put him onto the um, on uh, keep him on the wing and just let him rip up for the next ten years. I saw Artie Savia signed with Rock Nation, who's the yes, the agency run by Jay Z, and I I am excited about that. I'm not a New Zealand rugby fan, obviously being Australian, but. Exposing a wider audience to rugby, especially America, I think is really great. Now, I know there was, I feel like it was either this year or last year, there was some uh, controversy with an American uh, investment group trying to 
by the All Blacks, basically. And I feel like that's Keep not your hands the, off. Yeah, exactly. I don't feel like that's the right route to take for sort of foreign investment into rugby. I think it's going to come from the fans. And uh, it, was yeah. a, it was a very minor percentage they were buying, apparently. But yeah. yes, I, I read. I ended up reading the details, and I, and I was like, this has been way over blown out of proportion but however continue yeah uh, I, I i with the uh, american rugby union i don't know the uh, official name of whatever league they've got there but it's it's growing rapidly the Wa- rugby that's what they call yeah, it. yeah well the the yeah. i know the waratahs have sort of signed sort of a partnership or a brotherhood deal yes. with san diego and i think things like that and i hope we get sort of uh, exhibition games i hope we get sort of uh what the nrl has where the winner of the NRL plays the winner of the Super League. I'd love to see something like that with maybe the winner of Super Rugby Pacifica playing the winner of, you know, Rugby uh, America and things like that. Or maybe some other, you know, other club competitions like that because I know uh, that there are other, you know, club competitions around the world. I'd love to see sort of something like the... Um, UEFA Champions League, but for rugby. I think that would be really good. I think that's one of the big advantages that the union has got... uh, over over league at the moment is that we have got a bit more of an international presence based on the rugby world cup yes rugby league's got the rugby league world cup but let's be honest nowhere near the size of the rugby world cup um and i think that's something that rugby needs to capitalize on and to and to bring to that next level with with sort of club style stuff uh those international club competitions i think would be really really cool and that's one of the I, I don't follow football too closely, but one of the things I do really like about it and do follow a bit is the um, Champions League. And I think that concept is so cool because you get those sort of international games without it being, you know, uh, an international squad. Uh, and I think that is uh, really cool to watch, keep track of, and the, the champions from that, you know, can be really classified as the best club in the world kind of thing. And I think that would be really cool to see from a, a rugby perspective. It's the mean, best rugby club in the world. It is It is, it is hard because of travel. So yeah. I, I think a world, like they've got a, a, a football club champions or football world club ch- champions, which I think they could do because they currently do that in Europe, like a yeah. European Champions League, which I think, is, again, is a fantastic rugby tournament um, with all the French clubs and stuff playing each other. But I think, yeah, I, I would love the idea. I think the... At the moment, COVID obviously will. Yeah. After we come out of that, it'll be the the logistics of your rank. I think would be quite tough, but I think it's a fantastic, especially with Major League Rugby when America is there yeah. and stuff. I think that's a that's a great idea. But also, what's to say, the uh, Springboks captain? Okay, don't, don't know his name. No, number six, whatever his name is. He's also <laughs> signed. I should really get better at names. I'm terrible yeah. with names. Uh, signed with Rock Nation first, so he's already signed. So now they've got him, Artie Silvia, two of the biggest. I think. Rugby players in the world of colour as well, and and, yeah. and we saw the, the the video of them talking when they were playing the hundredth test about how cool it was that two captains of colour were playing, um, you know, as captains of the country and stuff like that. I think yeah. it was just fantastic. So I think it's great for the sport. I think talking on what you spoke about as well, with rugby league, rugby leagues had this this probably a, a bit more power and specific, and I think with the rule changes, the eligibility law changes, yeah, that's going to take some away from it. So I think it's a, an opportunity for world rugby to pounce on. On some things, and like you said, I'm I'm pretty excited to get into into Super Rugby. Um, I think this year we'll do we'll do a preview of Super Rugby yeah. in, the, in the new year because I think it's going to be probably one of the best competitions in years um, wise. And I think if the Crusaders win again. Um, yeah, you'll see me missing for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No one likes it when the Crusaders win. 
Alrighty, so a new segment on the uh, podcast. We're doing five burning questions. Um, so each week, um, or whenever we do the podcast, one of us will ask five burning questions that we have for the other one to answer. Um, and this week, it is my opportunity to ask Alex. So <laughs> I don't think I've ever called you that. Uh, it's always been Hughesy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so start off with the first burning question I have. NRL signing window... Yeah. And the transfer system. Oh, what are really? your thoughts on this? Like, you're gonna actually have to wait for this answer because, believe it or not, that's <laughs> actually my that's my court case this week. No way. That's my court Alrighty. case this week. Right, we'll you're gonna to have to wait for that. that. <laughs> so that's gonna be an extended answer to the first burning question. Because that's what I was like. I'm interested to hear your opinion yeah, on this. Yeah, uh, okay, we'll move into the second one that I can um, remember. It was Michael Hooper. Just talked about him. One Australian. If he was an All Black, if he was an All Black, if he was a New Zealand born. You reckon he'd be up there for greatest rugby player ever? Say he wins a couple of World Cups. Yeah. Wins the 2019, leads us to the 2019 World Cup. I know it's blasphemy to say. In the Michael yeah, Hooper it's in hard, to, hard to imagine him in the black. It really is. <laughs> hard to imagine him anything but the gold. Uh, imagine him being an understudy for Richie McCaw for a yeah, while. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. I mean, obviously, immediately comes to mind is Richie McCaw. And... Oh, man. That's, that's hard. That's hard. You, I mean, yeah... I think, yeah, yes, here. yes, I feel like he would be. I feel like he'd be in the discussion. You, I feel like it would be a real like... master, as you said, understand, I feel like it'd be a real master versus apprentice kind of discussion, like, and you would always have that kind of question, that, there'd be sort of a, a question with Hooper on that is, you know, is he the best ever, or is he only as good as he is because he studied under McCaw, and does that make McCaw better because he was able to not only be so good himself, but infuse that ability and smarts and leadership into his understudy of Hooper. Yeah, and I, I guess follow-up question because I just think him. So, like, Sam Kane obviously yeah. was what we're discussing kind of now, the understudy yeah. who's now. Sam Kane versus Michael Hooper, who are you taking? I mean, Michael Hooper. Now, now, even me, I'd probably say Michael Hooper's the better yeah. rugby player. However, I'd be really interested, again, a what-if world, if Sam Kane and Michael Hooper swap places. Yeah. Would we see Sam Kane? Be the shining light of Australian because I think, like, if you think about a number seven and Michael Hooper as he was, if Sam Kane was in the same position, I think yeah. he would be the same shining light that that you see. If you know what I mean, yeah, like, so it's Hooper shining more because, because of he's, how because shit of, the Wallabies yeah. are. <laughs> I was going to say a bit more politely than that. I was going to say the diamond in the rough kind of thing, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's a very good point. Um, and look, I guess the the, the answer is. Thankfully, we won't ever know because Michael Hooper's Australian and going to play for the Wallabies. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is hard to sort of come out from someone's shadow, especially um, a titan of rugby like Richie McCaw. Uh, you know, you look at um, sort of uh, Australian rugby and, you know, Israel Folau was a tremendous player, nowhere near sort of the giant of rugby that Richie McCaw is, but still a tremendous player in his own right, all other off-field views aside. And there hasn't really been another 15 able to establish themselves since he's, he's departed. So I feel like there is always that uh, kind of... Uh, there's always the rose-coloured glasses looking back at how players used to be and, and looking at their greatness. And I think that affects perceptions of current players that are trying to step into their shoes. Um, you know, I, I feel like that Hooper is a, a special, special player and I'll be... Uh, very sad if he um, if he hangs up the boots um, before the Wallabies uh, win a World Cup. He deserves one. It's it's get, get it, it's only getting harder for it to happen. 
but look, I, I really hope he he gets one and um and, and a slow as well. I mean, you know, it, it's twenty years; it's got to break at some point. And so I hope he I hope he achieves all that because uh, I feel like he and I sort of said this before with the team of the year stuff. He puts his heart in his sleeve. He plays his heart in every game. He gives everything every time he's out there. You never feel like sort of, you know, Hooper could have run a bit hard, faster. He could have tackled a bit harder. He could have, uh, you know, scrummed a bit better. Like, you always feel like you're getting such a consistently great performance from him. Put his body on the line. Every yeah, time as well. and, yeah, never gives up. And I think that's a very special quality in a player and a captain. And, uh, and you know, there are players that do all that and ne- and don't uh, win the titles and it's and you always your heart always breaks for them. So uh, as a Wallabies fan and a Waratahs fan that's watched him play for a long time, I hope he gets those uh, awards. I'm glad he gets the uh, and sorry those titles. I'm glad he gets the awards and accolades, but I'm sure he trade them all in for uh, the Wallabies hoisting the Bledisloe. Yeah, well, that I think that's part of what makes him great as well. Yeah, is, yeah. The selflessness. It is, yeah, but that won't ever happen. So that's unfortunate. For <laughs> um, okay, so that was that was burning question two. Burning question three. All right, the Steelers are potentially in the market for a quarterback. Yeah, next year we discussed this last one. You've got to pick one player to be picked out of the draft, a quarterback from the draft. I don't know how well you know the quarterbacks. I know one out quarterback draft. out of the draft because it's the one the Steelers going to take. It's going to be this. Uh, the quarterback from the Pitt Panthers, Kenny Pickett. Oh, you like the local Pickett. kid? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I feel like. Uh, Steelers management probably looks back and I think it's the 1983 draft, the Dan Marino draft, another pit quarterback, but they didn't pull the trigger on him and they were in the doldrums until you know Ben Roethlisberger came about 20 years later yeah. without a true franchise quarterback. I feel like they've made some mistakes at quarterback before. I think they should have trusted Cordell Stewart a bit more, slash, uh, given him a bit more opportunities. Neil O'Donnell clearly wasn't the answer when he was Steelers quarterback. So I think the Steelers have learnt a thing or two from their past about quarterbacks. Um, I feel like if they're going to draft a quarterback, it'll be Kenny Pickett. Even over Bryce Young? Yes. Yep. I feel like they trust the local connection more. They like their... The old fake slide was very nice. You yeah, well, the Kenny was... Pickett rules come in. So, um, <laughs> Fair that enough. Was, but yeah. yeah, that was one consideration for court case of the week. But um, <laughs> uh, then, yeah, I feel like they... Because they, they'll know they'll know a bit better and I feel like they might... And I'm partially worried about this. They might go off the past voodoo of not picking Dan Marino and they might influence them to pick Kenny Pickett. I hope that's not what they do. I hope they pick him because he's the right quarterback. I don't know if they pick him that he'll start year one. I hope they do what they did or tried to do with Ben Roethlisberger where they try to sit him and then maybe he comes out and lights up the world and wins offensive rookie of the year like Ben Roethlisberger did, go 15-1, get to the AFC Championship game, but go to the Super Bowl this time. I don't think that's going to happen. I feel like the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback situation next year will be they'll draft a quarterback, maybe not round one. I hope they do, but maybe not. I feel like they might pursue someone in free agency this year and then look to the draft the year after. I feel like there's been enough flirtations with Aaron Rodgers that that might become real. I think that would be a dream country to go from one Hall of Fame quarterback to another. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's on the market. I saw an Definitely artic- not my first choice. I saw so. an article the other day that broke my heart, and it was that the Falcons released Matt Ryan from the last year of his deal. Yeah, and that he ended up at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like there was an opportunity. I actually, I was like, yeah, I, I thought about that. I have, th- I have thought about that. I don't know if I'd be a fan of that. 
Uh, it wouldn't be a bad one season type thing. Like again, yeah. if you draft a quarterback in your head, or if you decided not to draft a quarterback and yeah, just play, I him. feel like he'd be. I'd hope he'd be an affordable option for a young quarterback to learn behind because Matt Ryan's not a bad quarterback by any means. He won MVP, went to the Super Bowl, and the loss in that Super Bowl was definitely not on him. Uh, and he's played some fantastic football the past. Like the Atlanta Falcons were a playoff perennial in the early 2010s, uh, and even in, in relatively recent memory. And it was always the offense that really got them there, and it was always sort of the defense that let them down in the playoffs. You know, there was when Matt Ryan was tossing the ball to Julio Jones and Roddy White, that was sort of peak Atlanta Falcons and huge, huge amounts of offense. I, I think, you know, with a great franchise running back in Najee Harris running the ball, some very skilled wide receivers in Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, great tight end in Pratt Frymouth, similar to when Matt Ryan played with Tony Gonzalez. Uh, and an offensive line that should hopefully be getting better. He might need have to get better. That need was, to get better. And I, I feel like that it, pursuing a quarterback of free agency might be better because then we could spend a first round pick on defense because our biggest hole is the defensive line at the moment because of injuries and the the depth has been just plumbed because two of our three starting defensive linemen have been out for basically the entirety of this year in Tyson Alulu and Stefan Tuitt, and then their backups have played and played decently, but they've gone out with injury or they've played more minutes than really they've been expected to play. A lot of youth there, and it just hasn't worked out. Cam Hayward has been amazing all year, another all-pro season for sure, but there needs to be more depth behind him. I think our middle linebacker situation needs a little bit of a lookout, maybe a bit of a bolster in free agency or something like that. Cornerback as well. So I think actually, surprisingly, defense needs to be sort of the number one look at this offseason for the Steelers. And so sort of quarter, quarterback one, defense one A. So I think quarterback in free agency or Dwayne Haskins is there. He's been sitting behind Ben Roethlisberger for a year. Didn't play badly in preseason. Give Dwayne the keys to the franchise for a year. See what he can do for a year. And if he plays terribly, look for a quarterback after that. I'm going to remember in my burning questions to never ask you about the Steelers again. Yeah, it's I asked you about who 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 would they draft if they had one on? <laughs> if we're going to draft a quarterback, and we've ended up with Dwayne Haskins yeah. <laughs> playing quarterback in this scenario. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a deep tricky question because it's it's a tr- it's a question the franchise hasn't had to face for twenty years. Yes, yes, yes. All right, burning question three. That was it. So Kenny Pickett was his name. Kenny Pickett in the draft. If there's if, a draft if, quarterback, it's Kenny Pickett. If, if they had to, yes, if they could yeah. choose anyone. Uh, fourth question, staying on NFL, but away from the Steelers, because I'm assuming, well, it depends, you'll probably bring them up again. Uh, MVP for the year. My burning question to you, looking at it now, who would be your MVP choice? That is a very, that's a very difficult question at the moment. I think if you'd gone back six weeks, you would say Derek Henry. I think now it's probably another running back in Jonathan Taylor. I think he. You reckon is, they'd give him the award though, like in this quarterback friendly market? Well, that's the thing is there's not been a quarterback that's really distinguished themselves as being the most valuable this year. I think Kyler Murray's probably the closest. In, Except in the, he's missed his week. So. Exactly. And they've won without him as well. Uh, Brady's played well. Same with Mahomes, but they haven't they, played at their MVP level. Do you reckon they just give it to Brady because he's 44 years old and they care? You know, like that would no. get a bit of marketing ploy, fanfare. Fear, no, I don't MVP. think so. I don't think I don't, I, and I don't. I don't think he's done enough to earn it this year. He's he hasn't played his best football. He's played football enough to win. I think the Buccaneers are talented enough around him, and he's still playing at a high enough level. I think he's a top five quarterback, 
and I've got him on my fantasy team, and he's playing like a top five quarterback in fantasy. But I don't think he is a he is the he is the MVP this year. Uh, I and you look at sort of other teams and names that might be considered. Patrick Mahomes not playing his best football, and he's had issues with his receivers tipping balls and interceptions. And some of that's on has to be on Mahomes not putting the ball in exactly the right spot or not being on the same page as receivers with the routes that they're running. Uh, Dak Prescott was an early look in for MVP, but is again not played uh, you know a high enough level of football. Uh, Matt Stafford was up there at the beginning, but again has had some regression. I and Derek Henry I think was probably the clear runaway favorite for MVP when he was healthy. He's gone out and injured, missed quite a bit of time. He might be coming back in one to two weeks as well, so he might pick up where he left off. I think last week he was still the number two in the league in rushing yards. Yeah, That's so. how insane he'd been playing before that. But since Henry's departure, Jonathan Taylor has stepped out of the shadows and has taken the reins for the Colts as the driving force of their offense. And uh, what do they say? Six and seven, seven, seven. seven they're they're six. in the play, they're in the playoff race, and that's right. that's where they, when they started the season when they were zero and three or something like that, you never would have believed it. And that when they've won games, it's been on the back of Taylor carrying the ball twenty plus times, Carson Wentz having to tr- throw it twenty to twenty five times. Wentz has got talented receivers, and he makes enough plays through the airs for them for them to win. And occasionally he can win the win the games for you. But I think the Colts are at their best when Taylor's running the football. I think he makes them relevant. I think he's he's doing things that other running backs aren't doing uh, in this league, and and that's you know what Derrick Henry does, which is the team runs through him. And I think for a non-quarterback to do that, I think is you go back to when Adrian Peterson won MVP, and I feel like it's a similar type of season that Jonathan Taylor is having. And you look at that as well. The Vikings didn't have a great record that year. They went to the playoffs as a wild card and lost in the first round. But Peterson had come off his ACL injury. Jonathan Taylor's coming off an injury as well. Had a record-breaking season. I don't think Taylor's having a record-breaking season, although he has broken some records or tied some records. And for me, I feel like right at this moment, if I had to pick who I think the best player in the NFL right now is, I would say Jonathan Taylor. Fair cool, fair yeah. cool. So that was burning question four, and I... I didn't mention the Steelers either. Yeah, I, know. I, I was like, is he going to bring up TJ Watt and just say, oh, defensive players should get it well? No, yeah. I, I, that's the thing. I, I'm going to be reasonable here and what that voters will actually vote for, and TJ Watt should get defensive player of the year. I'm sure the voters will find some way to not give it to him again, even though he should have won it last year and the year before. Um, I hope he gets it. He deserves it. But I don't think he um, will get MVP because... It just doesn't happen. just doesn't happen. Fair enough. Okay, burning question five, and I think this one will be an interesting answer, and it'll be more for everyone to hear what your answer is. If you could commentate one sport, sporting event, what would it be, Husey? Okay, so, so okay, I need to clarify here. So um, one sport or sporting event? Is it a, the sport as a whole, if I can make my career commentating that sport or make my career commentating that sporting event? Uh, let's go sporting event. So Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super so Bowl. You just, you just every Super Bowl you'd love just. To be I'd love to commentate the Super Bowl. Oh, I think okay. that would be an incredible experience. Sport that I'd like to commentate overall, though. Sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna also you can answer both questions. Yeah, yeah. Go on. give us, give NRL. us NRL. I'd love to commentate oh, NRL so, yeah. and the NRL Grand Final yep. or State of Origin. So 
Yeah. A little but bit for of full gold, gold on you. Yeah. <laughs> gold, yeah. So Super Bowl slash NRL Premiership State of Origin. So those big are the, NRL like, game. Yeah, yeah, those ones are up there. And then the sport overall. Look, I feel like uh, NFL would probably be my second. Um, and then and NRL will be first. I think NRL week in and week out would probably be nicer. And there's more weeks to it as well. Um, so you get more uh, get more games. Um, rugby Union number three. I do some casual commentating that for Knox Old Boys. Uh, Knox Old Boys seconds. So and that's that's really fun. And that's why I think NRL would be really fun as well. You know, I love watching my NRL. I love playing touch. The sort of I think the um, the the six tackle sets make things really interesting from a strategy point of view and things like that as well. Um, and it's got it's got a it's good to kind of see the flow of the game. Uh, in that way, so I think NRL would be probably the sport I'd like to commentate. Excellent. There you go. Burning question number five. Ed loves to be the next Phil Gould. <laughs> Rap. I like to be the next Ray Warren. Oh yeah, that, that's a much better. Yeah. Commentator. Alrighty. To finish, we're back with another court case. Susie is now an official lawyer, so test trials are over. Yep. It's the real deal. Susie, take us away. All right. So this also doubles as a response to your burning question number one. Now, as we've seen, so. This is, uh, Your Honour, Judge Bowden. <laughs> Thank you. Thank this you. is uh, the NRL Future Contracts, a.k.a. the trial of Brandon Smith. <laughs> All right, so a fellow Kiwi. Yes, now, later. to set the scene, uh, in the NRL, for those that don't know, players currently signed to one club can sign with another club while still playing for that club as long as it is the season after the last season they're playing for their club. So say, for example, the most prominent example in NRL right now is Brandon Smith. Brandon Smith currently plays for the Melbourne Storm, but he has signed with the... Signed, nothing official, with the Sydney Roosters for 2023. So he still has the entire 2022 season to play for the Melbourne Storm. Now, other examples, we've got Viliami Kikau, uh, we've got uh, Reed Marnie, a lot of high-profile Big name players. And I'm not a fan of this system. Uh, my, my argument is that we should, the NRL should scrap the system and implement something more akin to the NFL free agency. So looking at, looking at this, the, the, the current date for the feeding frenzy is November 1. So yes. November 1 this year, agents were allowed to talk <coughs> to other teams about getting their players uh, onto, onto different teams. Now... First sort of question that immediately springs to mind whenever you think about this future contracts thing is as a player, and you you play rugby, I play rugby. Professionally, yes, I do. Yeah, <laughs> Thank exactly. You. Yeah, not professionally. <laughs> uh, why would you play as hard for the club you're currently signed for if you're going to a different club next year? And that whole thing is got so many complex aspects to it that I think it really affects a player's mental state as well. Now... You know, are you going to put your full body into that tackle every single game, game in and game out, if you think about risking an injury that could void some money on your next contract? There's a great example of this, and it's an example close to me as well, which is Tyson Frizzell for the Dragons. 2019, tremendous player for the Dragons. Warrior every single game, game in, game out. 2020, off contract. Signs with the Newcastle Knights for 2021. Looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. Not his best season by any stretch and got into the New South Wales Blues 
based on reputation more than actual form. And while in that game, what did he do? For a, a, for a team that he was passionate about playing and wanted to keep playing with, the New South Wales Blues, he played amazingly. So you could definitely see the different levels of passion definitely affected his level of play there. Now, uh, looking at some other more recent examples, we've got Viliami Kikau and Brandon Smith signing with different clubs for 2023, both of whom had their news of their contract uh, exposed before official announcements. This has led... Brandon Smith did he exposed it himself. He would. He, he, he strongly hints <laughs> Objection. about Objection. Yeah. He strongly hints about it. But it was done before it was official. Now, this has led to repercussions at their current club. In the example of Kikau, he was booed on the Premiership Parade for the Panthers. He won. The, he helped them win the Premiership. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's done everything by the rules. But still, the fans were upset with him about signing with another club while he was still playing for them as well. It's not like he's leaving the Panthers right away to go to the Bulldogs. He's still playing another year for them. But again, the fans take issue with that because they think, well, why would Kikau play as hard as he possibly could this year when he's got a big money contract coming with the Dogs? He's obviously looking towards that. With Brandon Smith, he faced repercussions within the Melbourne Storm building uh, about, about that. And, you know, I would not want to be on the receiving end of a Craig Bellamy spray uh, on the best of times, let alone when he knows I'm leaving the club, at, I feel like that in itself is going to affect a player's mental health. Now, as well as this, think about it as a player. I I am Brandon Smith in this example, right? All right. Can I be Craig Bellamy? Sure. But say I'm, <laughs> I'm Brandon... <laughs> I'm going to put rocks in your bag. Uh, <laughs> so I, Melbourne Storm, have brought me up as a rugby player, have put me in a position to succeed... Premierships, uh, international games, they've made me into a great player. I need to show my excitement and passion for playing for this club while I'm at this club. But now I've gone and signed with the Roosters, right? So the Roosters fans are going to be expecting me to be excited to come join them. How can I be excited to still play for the Melbourne Storm and not be excited and not show excitement for the Roosters fans who are going to be my future home? Conversely, how can I not show support for or, and excitement for Melbourne Storm, when then the ones that have brought me up. But then, so either way, you're going to piss off one fan base or the other, or you're going to try and walk a middle ground, which will piss off both, and management, so on and so forth. It's a very difficult line for a player to walk. And, uh, you know, someone that speaks his mind like Brandon Smith is, you know, as we said, a, a special struggle with that. Uh, looking at a different example now in Reed Marnie. Um, and, oh, sorry, Reed Marnie and Brandon Smith kind of combined, and the new club in the NRL, the Dolphins. And the example in this instance is that uh, the Dolphins stopped their pursuit of Reed Marnie because they had sort of an assurance, a verbal assurance, and if you know anything about the legal world, verbal, not always the strongest ground to stand on, that he was going to join the Dolphins before the Roosters swooped in, as Roosters do. Uh, Chairman Nick uh, getting his way. Uh, Roosters swooped in and made him a deal that he couldn't refuse, Godfather, Godfather style. So... The Dolphins are now have lost out on two players. They've lost out on Brandon Smith and they've lost out on Reed Marnie because they stopped pursuing him. There is a chance that this could happen in a shorter free agency period, but when you're looking so far into the future and looking beyond the season and the sort of uncertainty of things and the less urgency, there's not as much urgency with something's a year away to sign with a player or to sign with a particular club. That is... This situation that's been caused for the Dolphins where they've lost out on a marquee signing at a key position 
is another instance of how this system is flawed. All right, continuing on, continuing on. Two pages. Yep, continuing on. This time too. Uh, the uh, I mentioned the leak of contracts, aka the kickout clause. Um, by and I'm going to move on to sort of what I see as the alternative here. And what I see as the alternative is an NFL style free agency. So for those that don't know, NFL players play for the club they're contracted to. They can they, their own club can choose to sign them to a long term deal, uh, long term deal, or they can go into free agency. There's also uh, things like exclusive free agency rights and things like that. We won't get into all the minutiae of that, but essentially what it means for the basic system as it works is you play for a club, and then when you're done on your contract with that club, you can explore options at other clubs in the free agency period. This gets to the free agency deals done in a lot quicker of a time period. If they've got a couple of months, the league year ends uh, in March, and they haven't, and uh, so the new league starts in March, and from that period on, free agency contracts can be signed for that current NFL year. Now, this does a couple of things. Before that free agency period starts, there's a huge amount of buzz about who might sign with that team and what that team might look like for, for, for the upcoming year. One example in this previous year was Bud Dupree from the Steelers. Uh, had a great year for the Steelers. Had a couple of different suitors out there. He became a big free agent signing of the Tennessee Titans. So that immediately creates, and what that also creates is a sort of uh, win-now mentality for the team and the fans. What I'm seeing sort of this year uh, as someone that is close to some Bulldogs fans is that the Dogs fans are looking at 2022 as sort of like, okay, if we don't win this year, it's okay. And I think that's a really blasé attitude to have as a fan. You should be excited to see your team win now. And if you're already looking towards 2023 when you're getting some more signings in there, for me, that takes away from my enjoyment of as a fan. If I'm looking two years in the future and say, okay, in two years' time will be good, why am I looking at this next season? Isn't that you for the Dragons every year, though? <laughs> every year for the Dragons is next year, which is exciting. It keeps me in as a fan. I'm not looking two years. I'm looking, okay, in two years we'll be good. I'm thinking, okay, this year is the year that we can be good. It keeps me addicted. It's like a drug, as you can, as you can see. Uh, all right. The next thing comes sort of back to the Brandon Smith issue, and it is the players aren't a detriment to the team that they're currently on. And this is also back to the Tyson Frizzell thing. If I... It's looking beyond the individual player and towards the team and the club as a whole. If I'm playing next to a teammate who I know is going to a different club next year, do I have complete faith in that player to put 100% of their effort in every single play? For me personally, I would not. What do you think? And Judge judge Bowden, care to comment? On that, on that situation. On that alone. specific scenario. So if a player next to me, I know... The, the issue I have with this, because I've, I've played with and against guys who are going to go to other clubs and stuff yeah. like that, have voiced their opinions. The issue I have, obviously, never been a professional player, I I wouldn't be able to understand it knowing they're going and knowing you'll be facing them. Like, yeah. like you don't, like, in rugby back home, it's kind of season happens and then people go off and, and you you don't know they're going to another club, but if someone hasn't give, got haven't been given the opportunities to play footy, they're probably going to leave and go somewhere yeah. else and do it. But you don't know that yet, and you don't know what club they're going to. You don't know. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely be playing them. Um, so I, don't, yeah, it's, it's a hard one to say. It, is. it would be tough to know if, if you're standing next to me, and I know you're not going to be playing with me next year. If I've got a contract signed for the club, so say I've signed Melbourne Storm, I'm signed for next year. It would be definitely tough to go. I know yeah. you're not going to be part of the part of the future. But I yeah. guess you, as a player, also know this is the business, and like if there was an opportunity for you to make more money, you probably would take it out there elsewhere as well, like in money talk. So I, I, I think 
at that level, there's that level of at the moment with the way it's currently set up of of this is how it is. If he decides to do that, we're going to go and put our body on the line. I get it. it, it, it what blows my mind as well, and I, I think your Tyson Frizzell one's a good example. Is for the for the lesser teams. As soon as your team starts doing not so well, yeah. as long as there's a championship on the line, you're going to keep playing. Well, this actually leads into my next point, uh, Judge Bowden. So thank you very much for that that setup. Right. <laughs> no early release drama, aka Ryan Madison's matter. No early release drama to go join your new club. Like, and also one that was denied this off season was Isaiah Papali'i. Yeah. You know, you've got this big money contract to go somewhere else next year. You're currently in the season. Your team's not playing so well as you'd like. Give me an early release. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go join a new team. Get rid of that immediately. Immediately. And that is not only... And that is that is an in-season drama. That is an in-season issue for the team. If you ta- Even if you take away... As you say, if the players are being professional about, you know, okay, well, they might go somewhere next year, but I know this is the business. Okay, but we're seeing more and more this rise of release me now from my contract. Let me go to my, let me go to my new team. And that can totally torpedo a team's chances uh, during the year. And I think that is a huge issue that the NRL is facing, and they've acknowledged that they're facing, and they don't have a, have a solution. I do. So there you go. That's another uh, thing I think this NFL star free agency would um, create. The uh, next, next point is that it would create a more sort of competitive bidding process, and this kind of ties back into what I was talking about with Brandon Smith, Reed Marnie, the Dolphins. When you've got a much shorter period of time that you're, uh, you as a player agent can be negotiating with clubs and as clubs you can negotiate with players and agents, you've got it's much more of a get things done now kind of mentality. We need this player for this next year so we can and we need to sign them quickly so that we can start. We know that they're going to be on our roster so that way we can start building our plan with them now. It will. Uh, I think the contracts as well have a, a, a chance to be more reflective of a true of a player's true value when they actually reach the club. Signing a player to a big money contract two years before they even get to your club, a lot can change in two years with injuries, not only for the player, but also for the club. And as the player, you could also be played absolutely out of your mind for the next two years and you're worth a lot more than the money that you're getting. So I think the free agency contract for the next season, the season you'll actually play with the club, you'll get a contract that's actually more reflective of the player's value and that's fairer for the players and for the clubs. And as well as that, my last point, uh, it brings in a lot more off-season flexibility. We can already, we're already getting reports of the Bulldogs struggling in cap space for 2023. We're two seasons away from that, and they're already talking about cap struggles for that season. Because they've already signed these players to big money contracts in two years' time, you have less opportunities to shift players around, to bring in um, key pieces, journeyman players who make up the ranks with those players that are of a decent enough skill level that they warrant uh, a bit of a a contract better than the bare minimum that uh, can step in for the star players or are the, uh, you know, kind of the, the base of the team, the, the ones that, you know, outside the star players keep the, keep the engine running. So I think having that greater flexibility by not already being hamstrung two years in advance by big contracts being signed um, two years in advance, I think really gives the clubs more of an opportunity to be more flexible in the off season. So in conclusion, Judge Bowden, my case is is that an NFL-style free agency would be much more beneficial to the NRL than the current NRL future contract system. I think I've demonstrated this very clearly. And I've heard your I've heard your case, and I, and I enjoyed hearing it. It was yep. it was that was much more well prepared than yep. last week. And I can see I can see already a day in a job of, as a lawyer. You've you've shown that you, you you're improving on the on the job. So 
couple of things that instantly come to my head. I think the current system, how it works, I dislike it. To say just because I dislike it, meaning it doesn't work, is incorrect. What does it work for? It works for the players a little bit. And and don't get me wrong, I, I think it, your option could still work for the players, but yep. this does give Brandon Smith now the opportunity. It does give Figal to hit those big money contracts. I think rugby league's a bit scared that if Cameron Smith, not Cameron Smith, Brandon Smith, Brandon. had to wait another year, or let's go with Kikau because Kikau's more, wait another year, who's knocking at his door from French rugby? Who's who's knocking at his door from yeah. Japanese rugby? So I think I think they have a bit of fear there, and that's that's why they like to go. Okay, even though as messy as it can be, and this and that, it allows us to have control over you know these players to think they're coming back for another season. They can get these big money deals. They can get that. That's about the only point I could make against yeah. your argument here because I don't see how it helps the clubs. I really don't like even in. The Sydney Roosters, about the only club that gets helped by this, I think, yeah. are the Sydney Roosters because of Brandon Smith. But like you said, I don't think the Doggies get helped greatly by knowing Marnie's coming because, what again, like you said, what if Marnie goes down and does an ACL and has to work his way back, but he's still going to be on that same money. Yep. What uh, The Dolphins got hurt by the fact, I think they also, is their own fault. You, if you Even just because you had a verbal agreement doesn't mean... I don't think it really matters. I think the Dolphins will be fine. I think with yeah. Wayne at the house, it's, it's not a big deal. I, I think from your point of view and from your argument, there's a lot. If I can bring up another point as well, yes. when you say it benefits the players, let's be clear, it benefits the star players. It doesn't yes. benefit your run-of-the-mill players. The players that make up the majority of the NRL, it doesn't benefit them because they're not the ones that are benefiting from these deals. They're already in this sort of NFL-style free agency playing from year to year. I think it sort of levels the playing field a bit more. I also think, though, it gives those guys an opportunity if, they, if you have a couple of good years that you get the opportunity to take that big money deal yep. where you're not actually that good of a player and a t- club takes a bit of a risk on you and, and you crack on and, and you know it sets you up for life. Or vice versa, if you have a couple of big years and you're undervalued and, and you stuck yourself into a contract, yeah, I think I, I do agree with what yep. you're saying though. And to, and to get to sort of a little bit more detail about the NFL free agency, they also have what's called while people are under contract, they have um, exclusive rights free agency. So to combat sort of the threat from, you know, French rugby, Japanese rugby, you can have structured into the deals that, you know, after uh, X amount of years, they can explore uh, the market, but the team has right of first refusal or something like that. Or the team can, has the opportunity that if another, if a team makes another offer, they can at least match the offer, uh, which is something that happens in the NFL. So I think the NFL, though they don't have that, uh, they don't have that threat from external sources. There's enough teams in there that they still have to sort of think to counter threats when it comes to that free agency period. And I think that, I, th- I think if you were to, if the NRL were to implement it, they would look into it in a lot more detail than we've been able to briefly discuss here yep. and implement a much more structured and sound system. And uh, and it is a valid fear to have is that, you know, you might lose players, they might be poached from cross code or uh, cross region. So I, I understand that, uh, but I think the NRL has got enough money behind it, enough smart minds behind it that they could think of a, a solution to that. Yeah, no, and I and I and I am heading in your direction of being right because I think my argument will always be what happens in this November first for Brandon Smith signing next year. Why couldn't that happen next year? Yeah, you can't tell me that from November first. Say you go November first to the start of the season is your signing your signing period. So you're obviously going to try and sign someone as quickly as possible because you yep. want to get them into the preseason. So I don't understand why you don't go. Okay, Brandon Smith, you've got to wait a year, play out your contract. Again, I think the issue will be, oh, he could have got injured. He's 
mm-hmm. uh, the opportunity. But if he gets injured, ideally he does come back from that. Like, yeah. well, like there's not many issues at injuries at the moment that'll keep you down. I think, especially a player like him. Um, so I think, yeah, I don't. I never quite understood like why wouldn't you just go? Yep, November till the start of the season. That's when our contracts start. Again, it helps those guys who are the run of the mill. Yep. Normal. I don't see any argument on that. Um, yeah, I, I really don't see much argument of changing. I've read articles and articles of them thinking, oh, we kind of like it how it is. I thought maybe even a, a football-style transfer where they do a transfer yep. at the end of the season and mid-season. Yeah. Now, again, like you said, early releases. I think early releases, I don't have as much of a problem with it because players are leaving because I think clubs have a lot more control at the moment yep. like where they can go, oh, you're just not going to play or we're going to release you or we're going to do this. I don't mind if a player goes like I think so many people get angry when early release happens at the player, but I'm like, no. But if he's got a long term contract, he's looking out for himself because the club's going to look out for themselves. Like, yeah, that's what not enough. Uh, you're, you as a fan of of, of the Titans of, of David Fafita again said like mid season I want to go to the Broncos. Um, is he really wanting to be part of the club? You know, like yeah. so. Okay, we move him on. If we were to say, but what? But why is he wanting to go to the Broncos? Because he signed that long term contract, so he's already looking ahead. Hundred percent. I I would not have an issue with early, early release if it was just I just want to be released from the club because that truly shows to me that yes. they're having an issue within the club. Like Odell Beckham Jr. in the NFL clearly had an issue with how the the Browns are running. He wasn't. He didn't have a deal signed next year with someone. He was eventually picked up by the the LA Rams, and I think. That for the for the Browns, you know, because leading up to that, they could have gone with that in the belief that okay, he's here, he's committed, and Beckham's issues had to do with the club itself, not because the grass is greener on the side. I want to get to the other side quicker. It's you know truly in their heart that they just don't want to be at this club. And again, like again, imagine homesick or something like that. Yeah. Like oh, I live in Melbourne, but or family's in Melbourne, but I'm playing up in for the yeah. for the Dolphins or something like that. So I I understand that I, I want as much as the players to have. The power than pos- yeah. as possible as a as a player myself as as players you know like yeah. like as, as even as a fan I don't want my club to be able to go to someone and go you're done type thing and we've yeah. got all the power I want so in the end I guess my I I couldn't come up with a, a decent argument to argue against it and and I'm going to even state the fact that I wouldn't come up with an argument yeah. I would be wholeheartedly on your side I think it's a it's it's one of the few things that's stopping the NRL great game um, yeah. I think it, it limits, and like you said, all this controversy, all this news. I, I think, imagine if you just went December, like now, everyone who's off contract, oh my God, like you say, you'd be thinking this year, Brandon Smith's coming off contract, you know. All the talk throughout the whole year would be Brandon Smith's coming off contract. Like, he's playing his last year. Yep. Who's he going to sign with? All this, t- everything would have been about it. And now instead it's going to be like, it's been like, oh, Brandon Smith's signing next year. Oh, but he's yeah. back with the storm. Oh, this is controversy. Yeah. It just, it, it, it causes more issues than... In it, you know, it souls. So yeah. it's like I, I, I just don't see the reason for it. And for for this court case, I'm going to say you win. My first, my first real first, court case. First real the court first case, one. and you've won it. Yeah. You've won it. You, you lost your last one. No, well, I agree with you. I think yeah. we'll say for this one. Um, I don't think there'll be any punishments on this one because, but we'll see if if, if Husey yeah, gets I, his way. I think. I think that'll be if it if it comes in the next few years, then then you'll be be considered a real winner. Like yeah, you, you've made a difference. Yeah. Well, maybe this starts the movement. That's maybe it does. Yeah. If you like, if you if you if you like what Husey's just said, and you're watching this video slash listening to this podcast, just share his opinion. Yeah. <laughs> He's here in uh, Peter Valandis. Yeah. Let Peter Valandis know and everyone else in the game that we yeah. want uh, a new a transfer window or a, yeah. a, a new signing a free agency setup. period. Free agency we want period. NRL free agency. We do. Yes.
Excellent. Well, that was the court case for the second episode. Um, and I guess that, that, that wraps up our show just yeah. about. I don't think we have much else to talk about. Um, there wasn't anything big over in, in Europe with football or anything like that. I think coming up, we've got the Ashes. UFC takes a break until the new year, I believe. Um, I haven't seen many big boxing matches lined up. No rugby in the future. Was it, was it this week or last that Arsenal choked away to Everton? I don't know, but that's probably worth mentioning anyway. <laughs> any Everton fans out there? Especially any Everton week, fans yeah, that are also week. Bulldogs fans, which I know one. So <laughs> <laughs> I did that just for him. Oh, excellent. So, yeah. Other than that, uh, thank you for joining us again for the second episode. Look at us getting more experience, getting better at it. Um, we're only going to get better from here, let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Next stop. World domination. World domination. Yeah. I've, I've built these new chairs. I built these today. Brought them from oh, IKEA. There you go. Yeah, they they do come with cushions, but I'm too budget, and the cushions cost fifty bucks. So I said, Nah, we'll just sit in wood. Yeah. Um, but we will have cushions for next time. I can put money on that. So <laughs> we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on the YouTube's and everything else. Cheers. See y'all.